0: Thank you for tuning in to the mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stared on moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 podcast. We are now a couple episodes into season two. Thank you again for continuing to join me on this ride and to listen to the stories of the various guests who have so kindly joined me on this forum. A reminder that Mile 40 really is a forum here for us to reach out to athletes, business professionals, and the everyday people around us and focus in on those pit-to-peak moments in life, discussing the trajectory upwards from those pits that we all face. The beauty of this podcast is it has really allowed us to Find ways to relate to those around us that perhaps we had no idea, you know, we're going through some of the things that had been going through in life. And, and one of the things that I found to be very beautiful throughout this journey is while some of the narratives may seem very far-fetched given the lives that some of us are living, the truth of the matter is even within those narratives, we've been able to find moments of relating and moments of thinking about things that we have gone through in our own lives. And today, I'm really grateful to have a special guest on the show, John Taufik. John is a licensed New Jersey realtor with eXp Realty. He specializes in residential and commercial sales all throughout New Jersey. He's also a partner with King Strength and Performance. It'll be launching soon in Livingston, New Jersey. John, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me today.
1: Thanks, Joy. Sure. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, we had a chance to catch up prior to this episode and, and we, you know, we walked through the outline of mile 40. And, and you had shared with me that, you know, your personal journey, both professional and outside of the workspace really took, you know, a lot of twists and turns along the way. I had met you a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2017, actually, I think is when we met. And I had met you through a couple of mutual friends who were running a business alongside uh, one of your former businesses. And I remember them talking the world of you and saying, you you need to meet John. And so I'm going to just pass it to you for a second, really quick. If you can give us just a quick update on the last couple of years and, and what you've been up to.
1: Sure. And by the way, they also spoke super highly of you too. And they're like, you have to meet this kid. You guys have so much in common. And so um, I actually don't remember where we first met. It's funny,
0: actually, because I do know that they kept talking about you and your name came up in several conversations to the point where I felt like you and I had been hanging out for years. And then I think you and I actually met in person much later after that.
1: Yeah, man. So at that time I had, like you said, um a it's part of a franchise um for like a health food restaurant in downtown, um, literally two doors down from our mutual friends. And um I did that for about six and a half, seven years. Um I was 27 when I started that and no partners or anything. And I think, you know, we had gone through Hurricane Sandy and, and all these like really challenging moments with running a business running a business is a hard, period. But then when you have um you know what they call uh forces of God or whatever, things that you just can't control that does really impact your business, you kind of it's like trial by fire and, and you kind of figure out how to how to navigate through it. And, um, you get through all these hurdles and then, um, I had a, uh, cancer scare and that kind of really put things in perspective for me. It's like, oh, wow, I'm doing this by myself. I really can't run this business by myself. I need to get out. How how old
0: were you when you had that scare?
1: Um, I was in my early thirties. I was 32, 33.
0: Okay.
1: And the only reason I found out about it was uh, my sister um, needed a kidney transplant and she needed a donor. I couldn't be a donor because we are not the same blood type. So I was going to go donate my kidney. And there's like this chain effect, what you call it, but basically my kidney would go to wherever it needed to go to, and then it would, you know, it'd be a line of people that eventually my sister would would get one that matched hers. So I'm meeting with the surgeon, shaking his hand, literally like, oh, you're super healthy. Everything's good. Couldn't help but notice you have this thing on your neck, go down the hall and get it checked out. I'm sure it's fine. All right, cool. I go down there and like the the one tech comes in, two techs come in and they're all looking at each other and they're like, they called in a third tech And what was supposed to be like a five, 10 minute checkup was like me 45 minutes sitting in a chair, freaked out, like, what's going on?
0: on? This kind of reminds me of, I don't know, I don't know if you're a Friends fan, but there's this one Friends episode where uh, I think Ross was at the doctor and I, I think they saw this weird growth on his stomach and they thought it was the third nipple. And all the doctors <laughs> and all the doctors came in and they were all joking. I mean, you know, they were all kind of looking around and trying to figure out what was going on 20 doctors around him. And, and, you know, and, and he was kind of freaking out, but uh, I know this is a little bit more serious than that, but just to add some levity to it, yeah, I was, no, I was no, thinking about no. that episode.
1: <laughs> I, I wish I had the third nipple on my back. <laughs> um, so they're like, we don't know what this is, but go see uh, a specialist immediately. So I, I didn't know like who to turn to. I, I, I reached out to um, someone that I I knew uh, from early on in my life who was a ear, nose, throat doctor. Long story short, they, they did a biopsy um, and he told me I had cancer. Um, and at that time, I couldn't really tell my parents, um, just because I'm like, oh, congratulations, both your kids are fucked up, you know. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't like l- they were going through it, you know, so I, I kind of kept it a secret for a while, which was I I didn't know the impact it had on me. Like I just just like, so I researched um, everything. It was it was thyroid cancer, which you know I, I read up on it. Like, well, if you're gonna have cancer, thyroid cancer is the one to have. It's not gonna kill you. It's very easy to treat. But I think I was more concerned with holding up the process to getting my sister her kidney.
0: So let's so, take a quick step back. Sure. What what did your sister have and why did she need a kidney transplant?
1: I don't know. So she had, um, this would have been her second kidney transplant. She had, oh, wow. when, she, okay. when she was 12, um, she had some like blood work done and it turned out that her kidney was in failure. And, and my mom happened to be the donor. My cool. mom and her had the same blood type. So it was literally... You know, I think we found out she was sick in November and by April, my mom had donated her kidney to her oh, wow! and, um, they have a shelf life. So they last about 15 years or so. Okay. And we were at that time where we needed a kidney. Um, however, my mom is the only immediate family member who had the same blood type. Me and my father have the same blood type as each other, but not as her. As your sister. Yep. So we're kind of scrambling and, um, You know, it was just, I I had my dad was wanted to volunteer to be, you know, to be the one, excuse me, in my shoes where he was going to be the, but you know, he was older and he had all the other health issues. I'm like, dude, no, like, uh, this is for me. So, um, and I knew they felt some type of way um, seeing both their kids having to go under the knife, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I kind of prepped myself to be like, all right, look, this is what it entails. If my mom could do it, I could do it, I'll be fine. Um, and then once they told me about the cancer thing, I was like, oh, I feel like I'd let everyone down. So, um, obviously I couldn't, I wasn't positioned to give anybody anything. Um, so I, I kind of just kept to myself. I researched thyroid cancer and what, uh, okay. I would have to go through radiation. I would have to take, yep. uh, all these things and, and isolate. Okay. I can do that. You know, um, and then i kept getting calls from my parents like hey what's up what's up what's up and then you know uh, i said hey look I, I finally had to tell them that i couldn't not tell them any longer yeah. and, um, i remember my mom my mom like a very she's like a woman of faith like, super faithful uh and just you know was just she just literally i can tell i could hear her voice crack a little bit but she was just like you don't have cancer you're fine and she was, like she said it with such conviction And I said, okay, you know, and I know my mom, I know like probably as soon as she got off the phone with me, she like locked herself in the bathroom and cried Mm -hmm. so no one could hear her. But, um, you know, so now I'm, I'm back to work and and I'm doing what I got to do is going about my life and preparing myself for this cancer situation. And, uh, one of my regulars was like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a radiologist. Would you mind if I look at the labs? Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, it took him literally less than a minute. He goes, this is inconclusive. He's like, the doctor left it out in the air for too long, the sample. And instead of telling you that he messed up, he's saying, let's just remove it and tell you that you have cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah. You can imagine how pissed I was. And keep in mind, this is someone that I knew. Yeah. The doctor or the radiologist? Uh, The doctor. Wow, the radiologist was just someone who would come eat at my restaurant. Got it. Um, And thank God for him because I was ready to go along with with this guy. And and, and, you know,
0: were they going to do like a thyroid removal for you? What was yeah?
1: They were going to do a thyroid removal, and was it partial
0: or what? Was it the full thyroid or
1: full? And and I I ended up having to remove my full thyroid eventually. So I went to like two other doctors, and I and I finally met like the guy who was like the number one guy in Jersey who actually performed the same procedure on a friend of mine. And he was honest with me. He said, look, I don't know what this is. He goes, this is a very weird situation. He goes, there's a lot of things about it that look like cancer. For example, it had its own blood supply. It kept growing. Um, It had calcifications, but then he goes, there are things about it that don't make me think it's cancer. The fact that it's uh, soft to the touch, the fact that like when I lay down it would kind of disappear, just to give you an idea, it was like the size of my fist. And it was like growing, but it was growing under my clavicle.
0: I actually had one too. I I had a growth right there too, and um, I actually had a partial thyroid removal. Did you? Yeah, and and similarly, um, it was like it was it was perceived to be cancer, but that was Mm -hmm. mainly because of my background, and so and it was kind of growing at a at a faster rate. Uh, fortunately it was benign and, you know, they were able to take it out and, and, you know, everything was done after that. Uh, but I do know, you know, the kind of suspicion that comes about with finding a mass right there in that area. It's definitely something that you can't not notice.
1: Um, and i didn't notice i was probably the only one who did it like the doctor was like dude go down the hall right now (laughs) yeah and you know to find out that it was like the size of my fist like when they actually removed it um i was like how did i not see that um but uh so uh, you know the my my thyroid doctor was like look well hold off on this we don't i don't want to put your family through too much at that time we had actually found someone to donate to my sister and it it was like and i gotta say like through all like that really dark and, and uncertain times like so many friends and and family stepped up and offered to help which was like so you know still to this day like i get chills thinking about it like I think i put up like a Facebook post saying like, Hey, this is the situation. Um, and then just so many people started messaging me like, Hey, I think I'm the same blood type. Let me go check. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, you know, and people who've never met my sister, you know, um. eventually it was like um, a family, uh, not a family through marriage, uh, mm-hmm. who ended up being the donor and it was successful surgery and and, and she was good. And, you know, that all went well. And is and she still I, good now? She's still good now. Thank God. And, um, six months after that, I go for my routine checkup and the doctor's like, Hey, this thing got bigger. It's got to come out. So I'm like, all right, you know, I got ready for that. And, uh, I had to wait two weeks. Cause again, this was, they said they never saw anything like it where there was so many mixed signals about it. Um, and they came back and they said it wasn't after they had removed it, they said it wasn't cancer. So they took out my thyroid and the Got it. and then, um, for, a, for, I couldn't do much of anything for a while. Um, cause the surgery was a little bit more complicated than they had anticipated. Um, they were like, you can't forget going to the gym. You can't do your own laundry. You can't go grocery shopping, anything heavier than five pounds. You need help getting out of bed. Like you got to, can't live alone for a little bit, go and, and, and do these things. So, um, yeah, I had to move back home, which, which sucked, you know, at 30, however old I was and, um, had to, you know, I, I sold the restaurant, um, and I was working in like, uh, the fitness industry, you know, doing sales and operations And, um, the, I had worked with this trainer who really kind of just was like, all right, we're gonna, I know you just had surgery. I know you haven't lifted weights in a long time, but let's just kind of, you know, get you back into it slowly, but surely. And next thing you know, he had me like deadlifting, like 225 pounds and like, and I felt great. And honestly, it gave me like confidence and, and, um, you know, I, I kind of just, it sparked something in me where I was um, I kind of could put all my frustration or, or anytime I was feeling um, even till this day, like if, if I'm stressed out or whatever, I just go work out and I can't tell you how, how it's changed my life and how it kind of just, uh, you know, it just, it was like a natural progression, I guess, for me to end yeah. up in, in, in fitness industry.
0: Well, one thing that I've noticed about you over the years, even from a little bit of a distance is, you know, you've seemed to undergone your own personal transformation and, um, you know, I can't help but notice that fitness was a big part of that, but you know, the part that obviously a lot of people on the outside don't know is that narrative that you went through, you know, you know until we spoke recently, I didn't know about that journey with your sister. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, what it must have felt like trying to come step in, kind of be the person that helps her only to uncover that not only could you not help her, but then you were going to be in a bind of your own battling a potential cancer diagnosis. Um, and, you know, I can only imagine what that must have put your family through at that point in time. Um, but one thing that, um, you know, sticks out in my knowing you over these years is um you carry a lot of weight on your shoulders you know you you are literally an individual contributor by your profession uh yeah. but it seems to be very natural for you whether it was you know in your previous days as a business owner uh whether it is the responsibility that you know you took on within your family um and i, I kind of want to dig a little bit into you know, where that drive comes from, that motivation, um, you know, that that desire to kind of, um, you know, carry the weight and 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 kind of earn that reward. Um, yeah. If you could speak a little bit about that,
1: sure. I, you know, I never thought of it that way. Um, it's it, there's actually no really thinking about it. It's kind of like it's like you just have to do it. Like you know, yeah. like um, I guess maybe it's being the older. Are you the older child? Or are you the? Younger? I am the older child. So I think when you're the older child, there's that expectation of you that you are, um, that you kind of have to step up to the plate. And you also being the child of like, you know, immigrant parents, you want to make sure, you know, they sacrifice so much for us and you want to unburden them as they get older too. So there is all this pressure that I don't even think about. I mean, you said it now and I'm like, oh yeah, shit, you're right. You know, um, I, for me it's not a, a choice or, or anything it's just kind of like it's a no-brainer yeah. i have to do it and i guess i end up taking on we were just talking earlier um you know i'm in the process of actively doing real estate um I'm, i switched firms and i'm building a real estate team and then i'm also opening up a gym and it's kind of like what the hell <laughs> like how am i all doing this at the same time and um you know, but you do it with grace.
0: That That's kind of one of the things that sticks out about you is that, you know, perhaps behind the scenes, nobody knows, maybe like the world is falling down on you and you're just like picking it all up and trying to juggle everything at once. But the way that it, it it's being reflected in the way that you present it is very graceful in the sense that, you know, you did spend a while building your business on the real estate front. You did get your foot on the ground after transitioning into that industry. Um, and you know, uh, you know, based on the reviews that have been put out there, you know, it, it's clear that your clients are very satisfied with your work, but now you're taking it one step further, opening up your own team, um, and, um, you know, pursuing a passion, uh, simultaneously, um, with running a gym. And and so, um, you know, that's gotta say something because you work in roles and you, you are in, in positions where, um, who you are on the surface matters, you know, like you're selling, you know, what you're putting out there has to be authentic. It has to be true. um, It has to be, um, it has to be something people are going to buy. And so despite the fact that you had these ups and downs on a personal level, you still show up every day. And that's something, um, you know, that, that kind of sticks out about you. Um, you When it comes to how you approach just, you know, being resilient in general, You know, what, what are your, what's your thought process there?
1: Um, you know, I, I've always been, uh, I guess like the people I've always kind of looked up to were always the ones who kind of like were resilient figures, um, and, and kind of just like, you know, obviously I just watched the the Derek Jeter documentary and, and like the fact, you know, when you look at. His numbers, they weren't really the greatest, but the fact that he was always there and that he was always like an example for his team that to me, like he, if for my era, like that, he's to me the greatest. Uh, if you want to take it a step further in like all of baseball history, like Lou Gehrig, holy, you know, like God damn, like that guy, you know, went through it all and, and, you know, and, ha- and talk about grace, like that guy was the epitome of it. So I've always been. Um, I gravitate towards those types of people who kind of shine in, um, moments where the world is on their shoulders. Not that I think, not that I think I, I am that, I mean, I, maybe subconsciously I, I, I try to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were. I was always more interested in those types of people than let's say, you know, I remember, and I always talked about this when Alex Rodriguez got signed to the Yankees, um and i think it was 03 and every you know he had the greatest numbers and and he was you know the man yeah. and i was just like ah, he's not the clutch guy he's not the guy that's going to he's not the guy that a team's going to rally behind like I, I think he would be really bad for this team and uh, i mean you can say i mean I, I have this debate all the time with people and yes he won the mvp twice and, and yes all this but like you know even he'll say he's like i you know Derek was the the star player and then Derek was the guy that you look to in moments when, you know, they're behind and who's going to hit that clutch home run or that clutch hit. Like those are the people that I always thought were my heroes, not necessarily like the, the number one or. Yeah. Whoever no, I, I, I agree. I
0: mean, I, I think that, you know, one of the ways that you're distinguished as a leader is in moments of crises um, when. um people don't know what to do. You don't have to say much, but they're looking at you uh, for a direction, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and in in the context uh, of the Yankees, especially uh, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, that was definitely, you know, Derek Jeter. And even nowadays, when you look at a lot of professional sports franchises out there, there are a lot of players out there who put up numbers, but the people who distinguish themselves as, as leaders, are, are generally the ones that perhaps are a little further away from the mic or the ones that, yes. you know, tend to be a little quieter when it comes to voicing those stats. You know, it, it kind of helps me segue into, you know, where you're going now, you are going to be leading a team, you are going to be someone who is, and this is not your first time, you know, being someone uh, who's running a business. But what have you learned over the years in terms of Leadership style as someone who's going to you know need to rally and motivate.
1: Yeah. Um, I I'm naturally uh, everything I've done in my career, even leading up to this now, has always been people based. Um, I I hate things like uh, like the the other side of it, the paperwork and things that like that that stuff is the stuff that kind of if you ask me what I hate most about my business, it's that, like that type stuff is just the worst for me. So I know I'm good with people. I know I can, um, you know, get people's buy-in and and it's genuine. I'm genuinely interested in the people I work with. Um, and I would never, I, I think I always prioritize the relationship, whether it's with clients or with, um, my team. And then I think when people see that they would you know, they'll run through walls for you. You know, if um, you kind of let that be the first thing that you, you know, kind of say, this is what we're all about. And this is kind of the culture we're establishing. uh, People pick up on that and people will will gravitate to that. I I think my weaknesses, like I said, would be more the admin stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't like my brain isn't wired that way. Like when it comes to like, like that kind of stuff, just like I'll put it off, I'll put it off, put it off. But if I'm working with people, uh, am uh, I'll literally put them first and, and kind of make sure that they're taken care of. And, uh, and I hope that translates to, you know, when people work with me and then they see that.
0: Yeah, no, it's a carryover effect for sure. Um, you know, when people are treated a certain way and, and they like it, uh, the hope is that you know, they kind of pass that on to the people that they deal with, especially in a leadership capacity, you know, you want to lead um, in a way that's contagious, you want to be a a giver in a sense of that way, when your team is out there, they're giving to their clients, like that servant
1: leader, I think is is the best term to describe it.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, that kind of leads me to another question. A couple of years ago, you made the transition into real estate. And, you know, I remember you sharing that out with the world. And it seemed to be a very natural transition, but yeah. I imagine there must have been not only a learning curve, but there must have been a little bit of trepidation or a little bit of angst about, you know, kind of moving into an industry like that. Yeah. And 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 so, if you could speak a little bit about some of the hurdles there and what you had to go through to really kind of get settled in the industry.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's you know, I think the only real hurdle was mentally for me. Um, I was 38 when I when I switched over or maybe 37 I don't remember um and just being like oh man am I really doing this again like changing career paths and and all that and uh for me honestly like I got licensed in April of 2019 I had my first closing in May of 2019 like I it's just that that hustle mentality and, and and just knowing people and and getting, um, getting things done for people. And then I, I also put a lot of, I guess you said it earlier. Um, I'm very goal driven, so I will constantly, I have this whiteboard that I see every morning when I wake up It's the first thing I see when I wake up and the last thing I see before I go to bed. And it's basically my objectives for the week, for the month, for the year. And if I don't make those if i don't cross everything off that list it like drives me crazy um so i, I think when you when you're a goal driven person and you kind of make a switch into another industry yeah there's always going to be i mean sales is sales is sales it's just yeah. learning like the the real estate lingo and that will just come in time but i think i'm 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 of the belief that if you transition to something else right now and you, you have if you're the type of person that wants to break barriers, if you will, and, uh, and, and thank you for the plug, the of course, of course, <laughs> by the way, great book, man, um, you. You, you'll have no problem.
0: No, I, I I I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, um, as someone who works in sales to myself, I've always believed that the skill set is is very transferable. And, right. you know, I, I've is. always said, I don't care what it is that I'm selling, you know, I'm more concerned with making sure that my client, you know, is happier now than they were yesterday with whatever it is that I'm putting forth in front of them. And, you know, I've always kind of had a staunch uh approach toward you know, uh, people who would say, well, you know, just because you sell this means you can't sell that. And I would say, no, that that's not true because at the end of the day, selling is all about, you know, the human conversation. It's all about the relationship. It's all about the level of empathy being kind of shared and the understanding of how to fill a need that's out there. And so I've always kind of been big on that. And, uh, going back to your whiteboard, um, you know David Goggins in, in his book Can't Hurt Me talks about his accountability mirror and and that's something that you know I think is extremely important I think writing down your goals number 1 but also putting them in a place where you can see them daily um, yeah. and if that's a whiteboard if that literally is you know the mirror that you look in every day your fridge whatever it may be I think that that's one key way to hold yourself accountable and and so it's cool to kind of hear you verbalize it because it's something that I strongly believe in um, yeah. as well
1: yeah, there is um, nothing worse than letting yourself down.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing worse than letting yourself down and it's just such a great way to to keep yourself focused and and honed in and you know, I mean, you had said that in terms of hurdles, the only hurdle was really mental. Um okay. and the truth of the matter is that there's, you know, nothing more mentally painful than coming home every day, looking at that mirror or, you know, that whiteboard and seeing that you weren't able to accomplish yeah. your own, you know, set goal. Um, and so that's something that I, I follow too. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate that you show that, you know, John, as we wrap things up, you know, given everything that you had gone through, I mean, this has kind of been um, a narrative of um, your personal story and, and talking about what you had gone through with your family. And, and, and again, most people, On the surface would have no idea um, that you were kind of in this situation of trying to donate a kidney to your sister, then finding out that you had cancer and and trying to figure out or that you were potentially diagnosed with cancer, excuse me, and then trying to tie that all together while juggling, you know, the stages of owning a business and then shortly thereafter transitioning into a new industry altogether you know, is there anything that you want your clients to know about you or the people out there who, you know, uh, are listening to the story for advice on the way up, maybe from a situation like the one that you had with your sister, um, you know, mm. in, in terms of how to keep their head up.
1: Ooh, that's a, that's a loaded question. I just, I think, uh, you know, tough times build tough people. It builds character. Um, and staying resilient is, I'm not sure if it's something that's learned or if it's, um, something that's, um, innate or, or a combination of both, but I think the only way to get through, um, extremely tough times or, or anything really is just kind of holding yourself accountable and, and, and kind of whatever it is for me, it, it's been working out. It's been just, I I did little things like created like a a positive gratitude journal where I'd always, you know, start my day with three things that I was grateful for and just focused on that throughout the day when things were really bad, just you got to have something positive, uh, positive to think about. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, it's not really such a cut and dry answer. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a combination of, of being very gritty and, and staying positive and, um, you, you everyone kind of gets there on on their own. for me, it was a combination of of working out and and staying positive. I hope that was
0: no that, that's perfect. I mean <laughs> no no I mean you touched on something extremely important and and that is the, just the notion of maintaining perspective um yeah. around you know sometimes the darkness of some of these situations and um you know a lot of times people hear the suggestion of of a gratitude journal and and you know, it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but the truth of the matter is it's not necessarily about the journal as much as it's as it is about the word gratitude. And it's just more about the idea of, um, you know, taking a step back and understanding what you do have in moments where it seems like you're losing everything. Yeah. Um, and so especially in the context of what you had been going through, um, that perspective can, can really carry someone, um, a long way. Um, so John, I just want to say thank you for, for joining me today. Um, you know, it was awesome having you on here. I think your story is super impactful. It's one that's, um, you know, really going to give people a few things to think about people who are potentially, you know, going through their own, uh, journey professionally. And, you know, John said it himself, he was 37, 38, maybe before he decided to make another transition, um, in his career, number one, but it wasn't before he had gone through, um, the ups and downs in his family life um you know before he got there so thank you john appreciate
1: you coming then thank, out you, today. thank right. you so much for having me
0: thank you for listening today if you enjoyed this episode of the mile forty podcast go ahead subscribe leave a review and share the word Thank you for being a part of the mile 40 family and let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.